Hello everybody and welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox meeting of adult children of alcoholics in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child. We're recording our speakers every week because we're hoping others will benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We love to hear your comments and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Also, please take a moment to rate our podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. It will help others find the podcast. Adult Children of Alcoholics is a 12-step program of recovery for people who grew up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home. If you'd like to find a meeting to attend, go to adultchildren.org and click on Meetings. This week we're hearing a recording from back in December before the lockdown from Danielle. This is her third time on the podcast, and this time she's speaking about romantic relationships and recovery. Please enjoy. Hi, I'm Danielle. So I'm a little nervous, and I don't know that I'm going to speak for the whole 15 minutes, but I'm going to try to be of service and, you know, talk about my experience. So, let's see. So I'm going to start with a little bit of my history. Maybe you have heard it before if you've heard me speak, but so I grew up an only child. I grew up in Staten Island. Um, my parents, you know, super middle class. Um, neither one of my parents went to college. My mother was an addict, and my dad was an enabler when just a little, like, um, view into the situation. So when I was four, um, my mom was high. She took a lot of quaaludes. So my dad got upset and left left me with her and my mom my aunt and uncle lived down the street from us um, they were also addicts they used to have big parties and all do a bunch of cocaine and quaaludes like all at the same time um, sorry if that's triggering so my mother walked me over to my aunt's house and she was holding me and she fell because she was so high and she dropped me into a bookcase and you know I was bleeding a lot I still have a scar on my head so apparently my mom took me home put me to bed and you know still bleeding could have had a concussion my dad came home probably like one in the morning um, I was in bed alone. My mom was in the hallway having oral sex with my uncle. And my dad saw that I was bleeding, but was scared to take me to the hospital because he didn't want to tell them the story of what happened. He was scared that they would get in trouble. So that's just a tidbit into some of my experiences as a child and then when I was 11 my dad left my parents got divorced my mother was still an active 
addict and you know and let me just say this my dad was mediocre at best but he was the only stable force in my house you know my mother was just kind of in her own little world and so like when I was younger my dad would come home at 530 um, he worked in Manhattan, so he would take the express bus, and I knew what time the bus came back, so I would wait at the front door every day starting at like 5.20 because I was so excited that he was gonna come home because I wasn't gonna be alone anymore with my mother. And so after my dad left, I didn't have that anymore, and there was no one coming to save me from my mother. I was just alone with her, and I was alone. I was really alone. And everyone in my family just ignored it. No one intervened. Um, so yeah, it was really rough. And I think I felt that sense of loneliness, that deep, deep sense of loneliness until I found ACA and I was able to sort of share my story with other people and feel heard by other people and know that I wasn't alone in this. Um, I'm going to focus mostly on romantic relationships tonight and just some tools that I use to sort of navigate them. But I want to start by talking about what my relationships looked like before ACA. So, you know, I would date someone, I would get super obsessed with them, you know, we were going to get married and have five children. They were going to save me from all my pain. I was going to adopt their life and their way of being. And, you know, I wasn't going to have to deal with anything anymore. I was going to be taken care of. And so I was very needy. I was very possessive. I, you know, I would text someone like 20 times in a row because I wanted to know what they were doing and where they were. And then, of course, I would push them far, far away. And I would also use um, sex as a way to connect with people. I didn't know how to have like a real connection with someone, like an intimate connection and emotionally intimate connection. And so I had a lot of trouble with intimate relationships and I just didn't know how to be myself. I didn't know how to be seen. It was terrifying. Like, how could I tell anyone where I come from or like, you know, how I was neglected? Like, how would anyone ever accept me? Because obviously I'm so damaged. So I walked around with this feeling of being terribly damaged. And in ACA, I... The first real intimate relationship I had in ACA was with my sponsor. And it was sort of a template for me for other intimate relationships because she was the first person to hold space for me and my story. And, um, you know, I was able to sort of get triggered and work through what those triggers were and what was going on for me and what that brought up. And my fear of abandonment was like, sky high. I remember she was going on vacation once and I was like, but I'm in step four, you know, like how, <laughs> how could you leave me? You know, um, 
So I got over that, by the way. Um, but it, I'm just trying to give you an insight into what my fear of abandonment was about. And working through all of those issues really helped me create a template for an intimate relationship and also an intimate relationship with myself. So giving myself the space to feel my feelings and giving my space, giving myself space to accept my feelings and, you know, parenting myself through them. And if I was scared, I would say, you know, I know you're scared. It's okay. I'm here. You're not alone. The thing I have to tell myself most often is that I'm not alone because it's such a deep seated feeling of aloneness. So fast forward. Who's timing me, by the way? Oh. oh, okay, good. Okay. So I'm going to read something about relationships. So most of us know what an unhealthy relationship involves. It can be summed up in a few words, attempted control of another. A healthy relationship involves talking about feelings, mutual respect, and a commitment to trust and honesty. There are many other elements to a successful and intimate relationship, but these are a good start. Not surprisingly, these are the tools and principles included in the ACA program. Feelings, respect, trust, and honesty. We learned about feelings and talking about feelings in great deal in step four, which is sort of what I was getting at a little bit earlier. We learn that feelings can be our spiritual connection to the God of our understanding in addition to our connection with another. Feelings are how we let others know that we are angry, lonely, compassionate, or joyful. We also learn that the feelings of others are different than our own. We learn that others' feelings are not our feelings, but we can empathize with someone who is feeling fearful or alone. This is a critical aspect of romantic or intimate relationships. We can love someone and empathize with the person's feelings, but each person is responsible for his or her own feelings in the relationship. When we understand this, we can support our spouse or partner without trying to fix them. We avoid trying to talk them out of their feelings. We can listen to them instead of giving suggestions on what to do. Feelings pass. We learn that listening is sometimes the best support we can give our lover or partner. We let them feel their feelings and ask for the same when we have feelings. So. I spoke a little bit about what my romantic relationships looked like before program. And I'll be the first person to say that my romantic relationship at the moment is imperfect. It's been imperfect for five years. It's been on again, off again. There have been commitment issues. There's been dishonesty. There's been back and forth. Um, but I will say now, for the last year or so, we've been in a really good place. Um, We've both decided to commit in a real way. We live with each other, um, which is a huge step. And I haven't had someone to come home to since I was a little girl. I've been alone the whole time. And I don't mean alone, you know, in college, like, I lived with roommates, I lived in my sorority house with 30 girls, that's another story. Um, but I was alone. I didn't trust anyone, I didn't have intimate relationships with anyone. 
And so now in my relationship, there's like a very um, safe place for me to be, which is something, again, I don't know if that I've ever experienced it. I don't know that I've ever felt that I had a safe place to be. Um, so it's like I come home and I feel home. And recently, I've been having intense feelings of something happening to my partner. Like he goes to the grocery store and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's, he's on his bike, he's, it's dark, someone's gonna hit him. And these feelings have been coming up and I'm like, what is this about? Like this is, this is old stuff, like this can't be, you know, what's going on right now. So I talked a little bit about it in therapy and we realized it was because my fear of abandonment was coming up and also I was feeling like if he left I would be alone like and it triggered me because you know when my father left I was alone and he came back from the grocery store and I was like crying and he was like what's what's wrong you know and I said I'm having a lot of feelings right now my fear of abandonment's been kicked up. Um, I have all this fear of something happening to you. It reminds me of when, you know, I was alone at home when I was younger with my mom, when she was high. Um, and he didn't try to fix it. He just said, I'm really sorry that you're feeling this way. That must be really hard. Um, I'm here, I love you. Um, and, you're not a little girl anymore. So I feel really lucky to have that. And I think my ability to self-parent and express my feelings in a way that's not demanding, like I'm, I'm having feelings and you need to take care of me right now because I can't deal with them on my own. Um, I bring it here, I bring it to fellows, I bring it to therapy. I, I work through my, I don't hide my feelings from my partner because I don't believe in doing that, but I don't expect him to take care of my feelings. So when I feel like it's reasonable, when I can express them in a reasonable way, like with words, I do. And, you know, like I said, it's an imperfect relationship. He's a workaholic, he's had commitment issues, but there's a lot of good there too and there's a lot of love and I think it's a sign of my recovery and I don't know that I'd ever be able to be in a relationship like this before recovery. I really don't. I don't know. It would never happen and I just feel really lucky. I don't know that there's ever an end to a program. Like I'll just continue to work my program you know, in the book it says, you know, it's a way of life, and I really believe that. So, you know, even though I have this partner, I continue to have relationships with my friends, I have my career, I have my program, my family, my fellows. Um, I have my own sense of self in the world, which is a real gift. I know who I am, and I'm not ashamed of who I am, and I know that I'm not defective, although sometimes I feel that way. I know that that's an old feeling as well. So, 
you know, the program does work. I'm imperfect. My life is imperfect, but I'm happy. And I feel safe and I feel loved both with myself and with other people. And I think that that's a real blessing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.